Well, welcome to another edition of the Powell View Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Uh, I am Pastor Trey, and it's uh, great to be able to reach out to you guys in this way. We're back to the Upside Down Kingdom, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We've taken a little bit of a break. Uh, last week was Resurrection Sunday. The week before that was the preparation for the Resurrection Sunday. We had taken some time to talk about marriage, um, which had come from Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount about divorce and remarriage. And, you know, we had had a couple of weeks of that. So, and then there was a couple of weeks in there where I had gotten a dog bite on my face, and uh, we had to have some people come in and kind of take over. And so, but we're back. We're back to the Upside Down Kingdom, looking at Matthew chapters 5 through 7, as we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I opened today with, uh, I remember a, an old joke where they said, hey, Norm, we hear you don't like school. And he says, actually, uh, school's fine. It's, it's the principle of the thing that I can't stand. See, life in God's upside-down kingdom comes with a set of principles that have been laid out by the king himself. As we enter into the kingdom as disciples, we're called to a life that is marked by attitudes and actions that differ from the kingdom of this world. In fact, it used to be that the, the term Christian was synonymous with right behavior. Somebody might have said a while ago, well, that was a very Christian thing for you to do. Or, or they might say, well, that wasn't very Christian of you, all according to what that person was doing. But like a lot of things, that term began to be misused. People started to label things that they, they didn't approve of as unchristian, whether the Bible addressed it or not. And eventually everything seemed to fall into the category of <clears throat> unchristian. Um, playing cards, going to movies, um, dancing, dating. Um, growing up, for example, I, I, was, I was very, very strict growing up and had this uh, kind of condescending attitude of what was Christian and what was not Christian. I didn't know what to make of my family uh, who lived in Oklahoma uh, there on my mom's side uh, because I knew that they were believers, you know, but they smoked <laughs> and they drank beer occasionally. And that, uh, that I couldn't comprehend that because to me, those things were unchristian. Uh, so we often categorize, categorize things as unchristian that don't necessarily deserve that label. But even though we do that, the truth remains that there are some things that are unchristian. There are some things that are Christian. Now, now you might simply call these things right and wrong. Whatever label you want to put on them, there is a standard, though, that the king of the upside-down kingdom has set for those who enter in and conduct their lives in that kingdom, a set of principles. Now, what we've observed over the past decade is a growing number of people who reject that standard. Obviously, you look in our culture and uh, they they throw those standards off. What now what was once called wrong is now called a choice. You can't tell people that they are behaving in a wrong way. And yet in the kingdom of God, the, the body of Christ in, in which we live, Jesus calls us to a higher standard. We've seen this already uh, in our study on the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's, like I said, it's been quite a while since we've looked at the actual text in, in the Gospel of Matthew. But as a quick, quick re, uh, review, remember that Jesus taught that it's not enough just to not murder. In fact, I always laugh. That's a pretty low bar if you ask me. Um, most, a vast majority of the population of this world <laughs> has not murdered. 
But Jesus said, listen, it's not enough just to not murder. We also must avoid unrighteous anger and uh, words that would tear down and destroy other people. It's not enough just to not commit adultery. But we must fight against the urges um, to lust after those who are not our lifelong mate. Oh, and speaking of lifelong mates, though divorce may be uh, biblically permitted uh, occasionally in certain situations, <clears throat> Jesus was saying it's never the ideal or the design of God, and as such, believers should always esteem marriages that honor God. So you see how Jesus really basically is going back to the Ten Commandments and bringing those different laws uh, to, back to his followers, back to the heart of God, um, the heart behind the commandments. Through, through the centuries, God's law, called the Torah, the, the written Torah, by the way, because there's two different kinds of Torahs that, that I'm going to talk about now. But the written Torah was God's law given to Moses on Mount Sinai, um, actually written by the finger of God. That's the written Torah. But throughout the centuries, that written Torah, God's law, was eventually superseded by what was known as the oral Torah. Now, the oral Torah was a, a, a list of rules and, and laws that the religious leaders uh, put down as an interpretation of the written Torah uh, with uh, some things added and apparently some things taken from. And so eventually the oral Torah overpowered the written Torah, and the rabbis thought, you know what, our oral Torah is actually better, higher, more binding than the written Torah, which is the height of arrogance. But see, God, God says, I, I want this written Torah to be actually written on your heart. It's one thing to have the Ten Commandments written on a stone pillar that's displayed out in front of a courthouse. Oh, but, but church, it's much more important to have those laws from the written Torah written on the pillar of our hearts. That was always God's intention. It's not merely a set of rules of a religious system, but they are guiding principles that we cannot separate ourselves from if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, if we're living in the, the upside-down kingdom. This morning, we once again will see Jesus taking one of those Old Testament principles, the, one of those Ten Commandments, and not changing it at all. Not changing it, but taking us actually back to the level that God had always intended. Uh, this week we're looking at the Old Testament law, Thou shalt not bear false witness, one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Another way of saying it is, is thou shalt not lie. And we're going to see how Jesus raises the bar as he speaks of integrity in the life of the disciple. Now, I've titled the message, Pants on Fire. We all know that phrase, right? Liar, liar, pants on fire, nose as long as a telephone wire or something like that. Liar, liar, pants on fire. It's interesting. You look at the book of James in the New Testament. We're told that our tongues are the things that are set on fire when we use language that cuts people down. I think James would probably include in that fire igniter category all the lies that people tell on a shockingly regular basis. Lies we've told and lies we've lived. So both tongues and pants are on fire. Now as a way of just coming clean and being open and honest with you, this was my big sin growing up. It, it happened all the way back when I was three, when Dad discovered that somebody had gotten into the pudding, the chocolate pudding. 
that was in the refrigerator that we were going to have for dinner. Um, and then he brought my older sister and I into the kitchen and said, uh, did you guys get into the pudding? And I said, no. My older sister said no as well. She hadn't. But the evidence was still on my face. That's the, that's the funny part. I still had, my mom would tell me later, I still had chocolate on my face. Did you eat the pudding? No. No. So I remember that was one of the first memories I have. I got in trouble. But here's the problem with something like lying. If you get in trouble in a lie, you have two responses. Either you can stop lying because you got caught and that was embarrassing and you don't want that to happen again, or you get better at lying, and I chose that second option. I got good. It eventually scared me how good I got, Um, and uh, the Lord then really changed my heart. But until then, if I had gotten caught, and occasionally I would get caught, my mom would always quote this proverb to me. Proverbs 12.22 says, The Lord detests lying lips. Do you see how strong of a word that is? The Lord not just hates or dislikes, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. Man, as a kid, I could have quote that, quoted that in my sleep. Now, did it make a difference in my life? No, not for a long, long, long time, unfortunately. I, I knew the scripture, but it didn't change my life. And yet, it wasn't just my statements that were untruthful. In my life, many areas of my life were untruthful as well. I got in the habit of justifying why I didn't have to do something that I said I would do. I, I, I found out this little game was very beneficial to me. I would say, I promise. Now, you got to listen to that again. I promise. I, I was hiding gleefully behind the technicality of there's an N in that word, not an M. I didn't say I promise. I said I promise. See how easy that is to not have to live out the truth because I really didn't say I promise. It's it's the same thing. Of I, well, I was crossing my fingers when I said it or crossing my legs or crossing my eyes or whatever. Whatever it is, I'm telling you something that I'm intentionally telling you is wrong and I am I am coming up with all of these reasons why I can be justified in not doing that. I didn't say I promise. I said I promise. So right now, I, I want to go to Matthew chapter 5, back to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're back there, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, starting in verse 33, and we're going all the way then to verse 37. These are Jesus' words. He says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. And by the way, I'm, I'm using the NIV here. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. All right. This is one of those issues that just kind of stares us in the face, won't let us look away. You, you really can't get too far off in, in understanding because it's pretty plain on the outside. Jesus is being very, very, very clear here. He's addressing what the religious leaders had come to adopt as their way of justifying untruth statements and behaviors. 
it, it seemed like the religious leader's attitude was the same as uh, uh, in the movie Liar, Liar, Jim Carrey's character. He, he, he plays a lawyer, and of course, there, there are certain professions that, um, you know, they... It's hard for them to tell the truth often. and So the, his son in the movie, his son makes a wish that his dad would not be able to tell a lie. And that's then where the comedy comes in, where this lawyer is getting up there in court and he is not lying anymore because he can't. It would be hard for people in certain professions, not just in law, but in politics and, well, in a lot of ways. I, I don't want to peg anybody into a, 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 a corner but uh, there are certain professions that uh, it would be hard for them to have to tell the truth. In fact, uh, there's a line in the movie where Jim Carrey ends up telling his son, listen, sometimes adults have to lie. Now, here's a gut check question. Has that been your attitude as well? Sometimes adults have to lie. Sometimes adults have to lie. I mean, that sounds so common sense, right? But let me ask you, do they? Do they have to? Do they really? Integrity, I once heard, is, is being true to your principles even when no one is looking. It's a way of life that makes every attempt to line up one's life with what one says that they believe. This is why God detests lying lips. The disciple of Christ must take on the character of Christ. God is true. God is faithful. In the book of Hebrews, we're reminded that God cannot lie. And so we, as his children, should be concerned about how we, too, approach the truth in what we say and in how we live. Now, back to Matthew 5. In these five verses, Jesus is addressing an issue of integrity. And what he's doing, he's confronting the religious leaders' practice of, of teaching and modeling about taking oaths. Now, let me give you a little bit of historic context. Oaths back then, I guess like they are now, uh, they were a way of promising something with an accountability from a higher authority to back you up. You see, what you were saying by taking an oath, by whatever, uh, if you broke your vow, the authority that you brought into it, the, the, the authority that you swore by, uh, you would receive punishment by that authority. That's what you were saying. So by swearing by... God, you were saying, I, I'm putting myself under the authority of God, and if I break my oath, may God deal with me ever so severely. If by swearing by somebody or something, you made yourself accountable to that person. So here's where we can get into a bit of a pickle. It's important that we do not misunderstand Jesus' words here. You know, there are people out there who, who read this, and they have then said, well, then I'm not going to ever pledge allegiance to anything. I, I won't pledge allegiance to the flag. I, I, I won't ever take an oath in a court of law. But, but the problem with that, the problem is actually threefold with that interpretation. L let me explain. First of all, I don't know if you know this, but it's actually biblical. It's actually biblical to take oaths. Uh, let's go to the Old Testament here, Deuteronomy 6, 13 where God says, fear only the Lord your God and worship him and swear by his name only. Huh. Well, if it was forbidden, I don't think God would have said that we should swear by his name only. Jeremiah 4, 1 and 2. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you shall return. If you remove the detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, justice, and righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. 
Abraham took an oath in Jehovah's name. So did Jacob. Several times in Paul's writings, he swears things by the Lord. You want to write these uh, down. Galatians 1.20. Galatians 1.20. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.23. And Philippians 1.8. That's Galatians 1.20. 2 Corinthians 1.23. And Philippians 1.8. In all of those, Paul is bringing God as an accountability, and he's swearing by God at his illegal trial before the Jewish council. Jesus himself had been confronted by the high priest. The high priest told him there in Matthew chapter 26, I charge you in the name of the living God to tell us if you are the Messiah. When he says, I charge you in the name of the living God, he's saying, I swear by the the name of the living God. Tell us, swear by that, that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus did not say, well, no, I'm not supposed to give a, a swear an oath. He says, it is as you have said. So Jesus would not have gone against what Jehovah God had said in the Old Testament was perfectly legal to do. Which brings me to the second uh, problem with that particular interpretation of I can't, I can't say any oaths at all. To say that Jesus was forbidding all oaths does not agree with the previous teachings about the way that the religious leaders had manipulated the written Torah. Remember, again, he said, Jesus would say, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, don't even be unrighteously angry or, or use words to, to tear people down. Then Jesus would say, hey, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I, I tell you, if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So obviously, I mean, and we talked about this, Jesus is getting down to the heart of the matter. Not just the actions, but the attitudes as well. The heart, not just the behavior. But in getting to the core hard issues, he never says, well then, hey, don't worry about not murdering. You, you know, don't, don't worry about that one. You can murder, it's okay. Don't worry about not murdering. Don't worry about not committing adultery. Because it's really about the heart. No, we would never say that. Of course, those Old Testament laws still were valid. He just wanted them to also change their heart. So, see, he never changes the written Torah. He never makes adultery or murder okay. He doesn't abolish the law. He says, I have not come to abolish the law. So why, then, would he abolish part of the written Torah, the law given by Jehovah God, that would guide people in the correct manner in which they should take oaths. Why would he just say, hey, don't do that anymore? Don't worry about oaths. He wasn't abolishing those other laws when he went to the heart of the matter, so why would he be abolishing the act of taking an oath from the Old Testament? Why would he be abolishing that? That doesn't make sense. That's not logical. And thirdly, I believe that we have actually lost a word in the Greek text that is actually in the Hebrew text of Matthew. That word is a modifier. Now, we've talked about what modifiers are. It's a a word that modifies another word, uh, makes it more clear. So there's a word that is missing that actually modifies the word to swear. See, in the, the Hebrew Matthew... Jesus' words are actually, but I tell you, do not swear falsely at all. And then he goes on to clarify regarding swearing by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by anything else. So I believe, folks, that the Bible is very clear here. Jesus' point is don't swear at all. He is saying don't swear falsely at all. 
And, and with that, he is hitting the religious leaders right where it counts because that's exactly what they were doing. The religious leaders, through their oral Torah, knew that swearing by God's name would bind them to that particular promise or that particular oath. But if they swore by something lower, uh, something less important than God's name, well, then it really wasn't binding. That They would have a way out. It was making a promise with an N rather than a promise with an M. And it was deceitful. And it was manipulative, just like I was deceitful and manipulative in using those, those uh, words when I was dealing with my family. It was deceitful and manipulative, but for the religious leaders, they still could be looking righteous and pious because eh, swearing by heaven or swearing by Jerusalem is pr- pretty, pretty sacred, isn't it? Looks pretty good. So Jesus is speaking here of oaths that were deliberately designed to deceive, deliberately designed to give them an out. They had no intention of being true to their words. Liar, liar, pants on fire. See, God has always been concerned about the truthfulness of his people, especially when it came to swearing by his name. So we, we read back in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am Yehovah, the Lord. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. The religious leaders, they, they were taking oaths that were basically watered-down versions of God's command to swear by his name truthfully. And with every intention of doing what you said you would do. When I was a little bit older in high school, mom would ask me after I was gone for quite a while and took the car and went out on the town. And she said, well, where'd you go? I said, well, I went to the store. Well, that was true. That was true. But I wouldn't tell her about going to see my girlfriend on the way to the store. That was my manipulative intentionally deceiving my mother lie. That's exactly what the religious leaders were doing. So Jesus is clarifying what he's saying by giving them real examples of how they would squirrel around the truth. Don't swear falsely by the heavens. Don't swear falsely by the earth. Don't swear falsely by the holy city. He's calling baloney on this practice because it sounds good. It sounds nice and holy, swearing by the holy city or the temple. After all, they couldn't break a promise, but they could break a promise, right? You can read in Matthew 23 how ticky-tack these guys were on their oaths. They would say, if you swore by the altar, it wasn't binding. But if you swore by the gift on the altar, it was. Do you see how deceptive and manipulative these religious leaders were? That's what Jesus is speaking against here. He wants his disciples to be different than the religious leaders. He wants, to, he wants them to live on a higher plane. He wants them to live with way more integrity. And so he says, listen, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything else beyond this comes from the evil one. So when you swear, as the Lord lives, I will do this, then let that yes, I will do this, be yes, I will do this. And if you swear, as the Lord lives, I will not do this, let your no, I will not do this. Be No, I will not do this. 
Jesus even goes on to explain, you think by swearing by heaven is somehow less binding than swearing by God? Listen, the, the heavens are God's throne. So that makes them as sacred. The earth, well, I'll swear by the earth then. That's not binding. Well, yes, because the earth is God's footstool. The heavens display the glory of God. You look at nature and, and we see who God is through that. His presence makes the earth sacred. So everything is binding. You can't make it look good while trying to squirrel away from the issue of truth. So Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, you could say that Jesus is trying to tell them that, listen, uh, um, it's forbidden to swear, but I think Jesus' point is this. For us living in the kingdom of God, our lives should be lived in such integrity and truth that swearing oaths, though they are absolutely okay to do, they shouldn't be necessary to do. Swearing oaths may not be required. Swearing oaths, is, I'm sorry, swearing oaths shouldn't be forbidden, but swearing oaths shouldn't even be necessary. So, getting back to the principle of the thing, right? Well, here it is. Disciples tell the truth. Disciples tell the truth in word and in deed. That's the characteristic of a disciple of Jesus. Living in God's upside-down kingdom requires us to not be merely followers of the truth, but lovers of the truth and proclaimers of the truth. Why? Well, Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. That's our foundation, church. That's one of the main reasons that in the early church when Ananias and Sapphira lied about what they were dedicating to the Lord, the punishment was severe. God detests lying lips. You know, Jesus actually says that when we lie, it betrays our parentage. Uh, I'm going to, forgive me if this offends. I, I don't say it to offend, but I just need to illustrate this. My oldest uh, daughter, Jayana, uh, she, when she was probably four or five, something had happened uh, that went wrong, and she said, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Now, we, I was not a, uh, a person that used a lot of vulgarity in my life. Uh, my wife, my late wife, Peg at the time, she was not one to use a lot of profanity in her life. Um, and so it, it, just, it was like, uh, where did you hear that? Not on Blue's Clues. I looked over at Peg, my, my late wife, and she just kind of shrugged and said, I'm sorry. Because Jayanna had heard it from him. Just like that. I mean, just, you know, we, Jayanna heard a word that she then would use herself. Folks, when we lie, we are betraying who our parent is. Jesus says this in John chapter 8. He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> See, they thought, oh, no, no, we're sons of Abraham. He says, no, you are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. So how is Satan a murderer from the beginning? He killed Adam and Eve through deceit. He destined them for a godless eternity through their sin, and their sin came about through his lies. By the way, <laughs> I'm hearing my mother right now. 
Oh, my goodness. All these things she used to tell me. The Bible says Jesus was never dishonest. Jesus was never dishonest, not in word or deed. First Peter chapter 2, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. If we are to be called Christ ones, Christians, that's what Christ ones means. If we're going to be little Christs, if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to follow the master, if we're going to live in the kingdom and develop his character, we, we got to know that he was never dishonest in word or in deed. On the other side of that, we, we get John in Revelation chapter 21 confidently saying these words. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, as for the sexually immoral, for sorcerers, for idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Oh, I, I don't have any argument against murderers being on that list or sorcerers or idolaters. I get all of that, but ouch, liars, liars. Why? Because Jesus didn't lie, and he called us to reflect his character. God cannot lie, and we are his children, and we must begin to look like our Father. And that's why it is so important for us to take heed of God's words that he detests, detests lying lips. Now, as we wrap up, I, I want to give you this encouragement. If you also struggle with this particular sin, you know, it's, it's my experience that truthfulness is one of those principles of the upside-down kingdom, one of the few principles of the upside-down kingdom that the world actually seems to respect, well, well at least to, to some certain extent. Outside of the world of politics and maybe uh, entertainment and, uh, I don't know, uh, other uh, worlds, I'm sure, when you gain a reputation of dishonesty, that's kind of a big deal anymore. People will get angry when they're accused of lying. Some may feel even a little merciful to criminals who show remorse and openly admit their crime uh, as they stand before the judge without trying to cover it up or, or lie about it. Now, I, I mention all of this because even though our world is consumed by deceit, you know, there's something within us all that knows that natural deception, I mean, natural deception and lying naturally are wrong. We all know that lying is wrong. Somehow God has put that truth in our heart. So the, here, here's the cool part. I think that when we are able to be people of truth, when we are able to live our lives in integrity, I think that our example of living by that truth will make far more of an impact than we would ever imagine. When a Christian is caught in a lie, boy, the headlines fly. People are talking, telling us how we are hypocrites. If we could live in integrity matching our words with what we believe, matching our lifestyle with what we believe. If we do not lie, I believe that we will have an impact on this world because people are looking for people of integrity. They really are. When we are seen as people of integrity, when we say that we will do something and we do it, when we say that we're not going to do something and we don't do it, I think, I think then the way of the upside-down kingdom becomes a little bit more appealing to some believer, unbelievers 
When, when they can watch our lives, those, those of us who are living in the kingdom, when we surrender our words and our ways to the way and the truth and the life, I believe that we will make an impact. And then when we, try, uh, when we bring to them the gospel message, they can know that they can trust us. They can trust our words because they have seen our ways. As we wrap up, I just want to, you know, just a couple more statements. We have to be known as people of integrity, uh, as disciples. We need to be known as people of truth, as people who can be counted on to stand by our word. So whether we swear by God or not, our yes must be yes, and our no must be no. In fact, the, the, the terms liar, cheater, deceiver, those are terms that should never be placed upon a believer. Those terms are what describe Satan and his followers. They should never be used to describe the ambassadors of Jesus, and that's what we are called to be. Well, it was good to be with you uh, once again on this podcast. I do want to, again, thank Lisa Welly, my producer. I want to thank uh, Steve Pittman for making all of this uh, possible through uh, the streaming and, and all of that here at the uh, church. We do meet in person and online every Sunday here at Powell Butte at 13720 Southwest Highway 126. We have a, an 8.30 service, um, a 10.30 service, and an 11.30 service. That's in our historic chapel. Uh, that's our traditional service, that 11.30 service. And uh, if you're enjoying this podcast and ever get a chance to swing by on a Sunday to join us, uh, that would be awesome. We'd love to see you, and I'd love to hear that you've been listening to our podcast as well. All right, until next time, you have a wonderful uh, time. Shine for Jesus, and we will talk later.